called by so many guys, I don't know if the father's going to be white, Indian, Mexican, or black. Tom Laughlin presents a Tom Laughlin production of a Tom Laughlin film, written by Tom Laughlin and starring Tom Laughlin and his wife and his kids and his babysitter. And now it's time for our new feature, it's Jackie's Movie Synopsis Time. Take it away, Jackie. Hi guys, this this is a weird movie that takes place in like the nineteen seventies and it's really far out, but it's kinda weird and it's kinda depressing. Like there's like miscarriages and rapes and stuff. Uh I didn't like it and John didn't either. You, you know I have I have a review of your review. Mm-hmm. You're a filthy little girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, official synopsis from IMDb. Uh, Ex-Green Beret Hapkido expert saves wild horses from being slaughtered for dog food and helps protect a desert freedom school for runaways. I'm your host, Neil T, but my Native American name is Podcasts with Nerds. Joining me today on today's Dying for Scale Movie Club podcast are my regular co-host, Todd Whitey Brisket in Austin, Texas. Hey, Neil. I'm going to whoop you on the side of your face with my right foot <laughs> just for the hell of it. And there's not a damn thing you'll be able to do about it. <laughs> and today we're also joined by regular guest Stephen the Man Greenwell in Rhode Island. Neil, how much are dog food companies paying for Mustang meat now? <laughs> Listen, man. Only the white man wants everything put in writing, man. And only then so he can use it against you in court, man. You know, man, among the Indians, a promise is good enough, man. Oh, dearie me, this is the ultimate fuck, stupid hippie movie, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. Now, did a couple of weeks ago, did you say this was kind of the predecessor to the Steven Seagal kind of ass-kicking movies? Yeah, that- it kind of was. Actually. It definitely yeah, seems yeah. like it, yeah. Uh, before we start, actually, uh, TB, uh, you went to an Aquabats concert last night. Is that correct? I, I did, yeah. Uh, and were you were you like uh, PBR's date? Was that the plan? No, no. I've been an I've been an Aquabats fan for oh, decades now. I was going to say, I hope at least you bought you dinner, bought you dinner, and you know drove you home and no. kissed you on the. I went with uh, some siblings and some friends oh, okay. who have all been Aquabats fans. And did you dress up like uh, PBR with your special Aquabats costume? I've only I've only gone as far as owning a T-shirt. I don't, I don't have the costume. And did you go in the mosh pit? I assume there was a big mosh pit for the for the uh, Aquabat fans. No, I'm too old for that. I'm too um, old for mosh pitting. I just imagine it being like sort of a kids' show, but for adults, you know, because they're kind of cartoony, aren't they? It is. They're getting they're a lot more kid friendly now that they have their own TV show. I just—I also imagine them being sort of a bit too old for that stuff now, and their costumes being a bit saggy. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the costumes aren't saggy. They're skin tight, but the insides <laughs> are saggy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, shit. Where were we on the uh, movie discussion? Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's kind of like the predecessor to... Was it you, Steve, just asking? Predecessor to people like Steven Zagar, but like he was, he was even, he even predated Bruce Lee, let alone uh, uh, Chuck Norris and, and Steven Zagar and all that sort of stuff. There was, you know, American audiences hadn't seen, hadn't really seen any martial arts before this time. Yeah. This might be the first American martial arts movie ever. Mm. Yeah, there was kind of speculation of that on Wikipedia. And it's also, it's not only the ass kicking, it's also the kind of, fake philosophy kind of crap that's mm, going on yeah. throughout this movie. Yeah. As you mentioned, the hippie dippy, hey, hey man, why don't we just let kids learn what they want to learn? <laughs> everyone everyone had to get turned on by creating something. That was one of the rules of the school, man. Mm. Now going back to that opening music, uh, which was the theme song, uh it's a song called One Tin Soldier. And that I think it was a it was actually a originally recorded by another artist or written by another artist but that was that recording was by a band called um the coven or coven and uh i'm sure well i'm sure teebs you know what a coven is it's yeah it's what you put your cakes in in (laughs) um uh it's where you keep your your pans with eggs in right that's right (laughs) (laughs) um no uh a coven is like a a witch's coven is like a i think a gathering or a collection of witches so coven this song was all about sort of peace and love peace and love uh but they actually were practice practicing satanists and they put out an album in 1969 called witchcraft destroys minds and reaps souls and that helped to introduce the uh satanic tropes like inverted crosses and hail satan and the heavy metal guys adopted all that hail satan stuff from uh coven which was fascinating i found well i mean kind of aligns with the uh, native american culture mm. they're all they're all hedonists and unchristian like the narrator slash gene in this movie was absolutely horrible <laughs> she sent the narration when she was doing the narration, it sounded like she was not interested in this movie at all. She wasn't. That was that was uh, his wife, and uh, he kind of conned her into doing the movie by saying that another actress hadn't actress hadn't turned up, and yeah, she kind of sleep sleepwalks through most of it, doesn't she? Yeah, it's like she's been uh, she's been hitting those peyote pills too much and kind of being drowsy throughout the movie. She looks a bit like Tom Petty as well, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's another another thing. Uh, she, I wrote down she looks like a, a meth addicted Skeletor, but uh, <laughs> Billy Jack, Billy Jack married way down. She got she got a good deal on Billy Jack because he's a handsome man. I also also thought she looked like the uh, albino Shelley Duvall. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, you think he's a good looking man? I suppose so. I mean, you know, he's not really my type to be honest, Teeps. No, he's he's no he's no Casper Van Diem, but. He's, you know, he's solid. He's rough. He's rough and tumble. Maybe I'm attracted to his hapkido skills. She's not. I mean, actually, she's not that bad looking kind of from behind. In other words, if you don't see her face, which is kind of a bit ghost-like. Um, okay. She, she, she's, she looks good in those white jeans. Those white jeans still actually look pretty good today because people still sort of wear those kind of clothes today. So actually, the the fashions probably looked a bit ridiculous kind of in kind of the 80s and 90s. But all that stuff has come around today, hasn't it? And, you know, the long hair and stuff. So it doesn't look ridiculous now. 
Again, they all sort of look like hipsters. The one girl I thought was really hot was um, up yours, little, little Miss Up Yours. She was pretty hot, wasn't she? Yeah, she oh, was. I, yeah, I agree. She yeah. was by up far the best. Yours. <laughs> I like to put my little little Mister thingy up her little Miss Yours up yours. Oh yeah, it's very difficult to say that. <laughs> well, speaking of the the good looking women, uh, I did watch the first movie, Born Losers, the first Billy Jack movie before this one. Because I'm oh, really? OCD about keeping everything in order. Mm. There's no connection between them besides Billy Jack being both. But Well, it's a, it's a kind of motorcycle gang movie, isn't it? And uh, It is. Just, does yes. he just sort of show up and kick ass and then he's not really in it's it too kind much? Of, it's kind of the same deal. Um, he's, he's not on an... It doesn't really have anything to do with Indian reservations or anything like that. He just shows up in a city in a, or a little town that's being overrun by a biker gang and, and kicks all their asses. But um, he doesn't wear his trademark black hat. He just wears a, a cowboy hat. Mm. But the, the weird part is he's just he's just an albon, albino white dude. You know, no, 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 he looks no, like no. everybody else. He's yeah, a half he breed. He's a, he's a dirty half breed uh, TV. Everybody <laughs> can about, see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's just walking around with his cowboy hat. He looks no different from anybody else oh, right. in the first movie. And so, they just walk up to him and call him engine. Hey, engine, what you doing oh, here? Okay. So they do reference it then. Yeah, but that's all you. Uh, he he's he has doesn't he have like blue eyes? Yeah, he's, he, he's not all that half breedy. No, he couldn't look too much more whitey, could he? And also, I mean, this movie is very much sort of a counterculture movie that's supposed that sort of captured the youth. You know, it, the the you know the kind of youth youth rebellion of the late sixties, early seventies, and this guy's like forty odd, and his wife is like forty odd. Uh, the two leads, so you know, it's a, it is a bit weird. Um, but there you go. Yeah. Okay. What going back to what I was saying is that the first movie was was filled end to end with beautiful women because they just filmed this on the beach in the in the uh, late '60s in California. Mm. So the second movie had nothing on the first one as far as women go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was sort of an exploitation kind of B movie, wasn't it? With bikes and girls and stuff, wasn't it? I guess. Yeah, it was. Not only did the second movie have terrible acting, but the first one also had pretty terrible acting. Mm. Well, they cast, they kind of cast, and I wasn't joking in the opening about the babysitter. They cast their babysitter in elite in one of the major roles. She played the uh, the girl who got knocked up, I think. And then uh, another major role was the babysitter's friend. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, really. <laughs> and they were casting people who didn't want, didn't, not only they had they never acted before, which is kind of the vast majority of them, but they didn't want to act. So, for example, you know, obviously we talked about his wife, Dolores, but also the Indian guy, the guy who's with the dark skin who plays a major role. Uh, you know, the guy who hurts, gets his leg shot or injured. Or the whatever. one that actually looks like an Indian? The one who looks like an Indian. Um, is it? Is it this guy? My grandmother's a Kachina. <laughs> he he did not want to do it at all. And you can kind of tell he's, he's he was apparently very quiet and not interested in acting. But then they just sho they shoved a load of money in his face and he went, oh, okay then. But, um, <laughs> mm. My grandmother's a Kachina. <laughs> You can kind of tell that most of these actors were uh, amateur just from trying to look them up after the fact on IMDb and Wikipedia. <laughs> like, only I think only uh, Billy Jack and his wife have uh, Wikipedia pages. Which I is think um, poor sign. Uh, also, also the bad boy. Mm. The I forgot. I'm drawing a blank. After yeah, the bad guy um, Bernard. He did actually. David Royer is his name. He did actually do some other things afterwards, but he kind of got blacklisted. In Hollywood, 
because he was a dick and he sued um he actually sued uh, um Tom Laughlin because he was allegedly promised um a co-starring credit he didn't get the co-starring credit and um he also sued him I think he sued him for a lot of money as well uh, that's that's what um Laughlin said and he, and he did, definitely did sue him and um mm-hmm. he also but he also sabotaged his own career after that in that he was a bit of a dick to all, all the other directors he worked with and so his career kind of sort of torpedoed after that but uh you know Laughlin said that he he was sued him for um not only the co-starring credit but also he sued him for $250,000 um cuz he only got paid scale i mean nobody got really got paid much for this but it was a massive massive box office hit which we'll come mm-hmm. to later on and That's um very surprising. Okay. Oh my goodness! We'll talk about the, the numbers later on, which and I'm sure Steve has got some numbers as well. But um, uh, yeah, so not only did he sue him for the co-starring credit, he also sued for um, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which doesn't necessarily sound a lot today. But the highest-paid actor in uh, nineteen sixty-nine when it was made was uh, Jack Lemmon, and he he was being paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars a picture. So he wanted that sort of money, which is kind of ridiculous, and you know, he kind of got laughed mm-hmm. out of laughed out of court. Yeah, especially for for this film, you know, he did have a significant role, but he was essentially the weasel um, in mm. this film. He wasn't even the heavy because the heavy was his his boss hog daddy or something like that. Um, and uh, just his scenes are so weird and kind of <laughs> I don't know. I I was gonna say creepy, but creepy is the wrong word for it. Over the top cartoonish villain. Yeah, yeah. Like where. Like his but his buddy's holding this lady down and he's raping her and he's laughing, like, oh isn't he? God. He's laughing at that point, which is really yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For all my bragging, I've never been able to go all the way with a girl. I actually wrote down why is he laughing? What's going on here? I don't understand. Mm. It was an interesting choice as an actor. I'm sure that's that's what his thought was. That scene where he uh, he rapes the or attempts to rape the um, the three eyelashes girl. Um, Kind of maybe three laugh. eyelashes. Yeah, she wore three sets of eyelashes. If you listen to the dialogue carefully, TB. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one I of just the heard ho- it called Miss False Eyelashes. False eyelashes. Um, I think it's in the when they're in the like the canteen in the Freedom School. The two girls are talking about, her and they said she she tries to wear she wears three pairs of eyelashes at once or something. Yeah. Um, you're, you're talking about the first rape scene in this movie. Just to yeah, be clear, not not no. the second rape scene, not the huge rape scene, but the, this is the well. I mean, they're both rape, but yeah, it was when he um he he kind of basically rips her clothes off and stuff. And uh, I was just laughing at that because it's so it's so nice. Well, okay, it's not funny, but the whole her makeup and her look was ridiculous. Very, it's very late sixties because they shot this in I think nineteen sixty nine and then finished it in nineteen seventy. They had to stop because they ran out of money. And eventually mm-hmm. it got released in seventy one. So it's kind of late sixties more than early seventies, and it, you got you got that sort of look to it. Really, it's very sort of prototypical so, hippie, isn't it? Yeah. N- not only were there those rapes in there, but there's also a a statutory rape scene oh, where God, he was in yeah. bed with a thirteen year old girl. That was really unsettling, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's not. I mean, you know, the the bad guy who was Whitey. They could. I mean, Whitey wasn't bad enough being a rapist, a double rapist. They had to make him a child rapist as well. I mean, Jesus Christ, they're really kind of hammering that home, weren't they? That Whitey's a bad guy, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But then again, everyone else isn't is Whitey really? I mean, I didn't really understand. I couldn't understand. I couldn't work out whether um, up yours, little Miss up yours, was supposed to be an Indian or whether no, they are she's just, just a. Uh, she's she's another Whitey, but she's good natured down deep down. Because the message seems to be it's it's you know, B 
being whitey is bad, but if you're whitey and you appropriate Native American culture, that's fine. Which is, you know, wouldn't really fly today. It doesn't really fly for people like Gwen Stefani, if you remember the trouble she got mm-hmm. into recently. Well, yeah, well, it's it's kind of one of the problems of why this movie doesn't really hold up because it is also, yes, Whitey is oppressing the Native Americans in this movie, but also Whitey is seen as like the savior as well, like yeah. the the mag- magical Billy Jack. Although he, technically, he is, you know, he's a half breed in the movie. I don't, I don't know what his actual ethnic background is. He's, but he is actually complete Whitey. Okay, oh, how dare you? He's one two hundred fifty sixth Cherokee. Yep, <laughs> it's not. I've got we, no idea. I don't think he is. He's completely white, isn't he? Yeah. Wikipedia yeah. says he was born in Minneapolis. Mm. So yeah, sounds sounds pretty pretty honky to me. Well, he could have had Native American friends growing up. Well, actually, <laughs> the background the background to why this film features Native American culture and Native Americans so so strongly is because. His wife, Dolores, um, grew up next to a reservation. And in that area that she grew up in, she was kind of the only whitey around. Um, And so she actually saw, you know, those kind of silly, what appear to be ridiculous scenes like in the uh, in the ice cream parlor where they chuck flour on the um, on the on the Indians. They call them Indians. So let's say Indians for now. Um, That she saw that happen. That really happened. Actually. Neil, they call them engines. Engines. That really happened. She witnessed that, um, and she obviously she told um, her husband, and that kind of inspired him to do the movie. And they shot the that scene in the ice cream parlor in a real ice cream parlor in Prescott, which is I think is in is it in Arizona? Anyway, um, a town called Prescott, and in that town, uh, sorry, in that very ice cream parlor, they did not allow Native Americans in into it. Which is amazing when you think about it. But then that's kind of what the movie's all about. Is is a back back then this wasn't like a an exaggeration. That was really what was happening. Mm-hmm. Whitey, uh, I don't even understand what Whitey was doing. I know they were trying to take their horses for cat food, but that seems very impractical. But what were they doing <laughs> to the school? Were they just going? Uh, the Whitey was the problem because they're just raping their kids. Well, it. it at one point, it was also clear they wanted to shut the school down. They wanted to, right, so the, from what I remember, that's kind of the town council meeting. They had a problem, they were kind of basically blaming the uh, Freedom School students and the uh, Native Americans. For, they were basically blaming them for troublemaking in the town. They were banning, they wanted to ban all of the Freedom School students from the town because they were basically blaming them for going, they say they're going to... Uh, into town and, and causing trouble in other words what happened in the ice cream parlor and that's what that huge mm. interminably, interminably long ridiculously long section with them in the um the courtroom the, oh my god and i mean that was it, horrible it was blindingly obvious that was improvised because it was so so horribly so long. bad yeah um actually i mean coming into this movie for seeing it for the first time i, I it wasn't nearly as bad as i thought it would be I think about half of it had quite a decent sort of coherent plot, but the other half was so awful. Oh my goodness! Um, so preachy and co- I mean, all the stuff that happens in the school basically is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? With that guy yeah. from WKRP. So so many long and comfortable scenes, like the ones that Billy Jack, the scenes that Billy Jack is in, or you know, those are those are good. He's actually the best actor in the movie, mm. but. Every other scene, like the courtroom scene, the uh, 
imp- students improvising the uh, getting caught smoking marijuana scene. <laughs> oh um, my God. The uh, the mugging scene. The oh. guy getting robbed and some <laughs> improv actor coming and telling him to take over. All of those were horrible. That was bonkers, wasn't it? That was crazy. I was like, what is going on here? Oh my God. I, I didn't understand what was going on at all. You know what that reminded me of? That particular, that scene where they were doing the improv in like the town square. And also the scene with uh, the guy from WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, he plays this sort of long-haired hippie guy who's smoking the joint in the uh, in the car in the improv scene. Um, those scenes remind me of. I mean, I haven't really. I'm not really that au fait with Cheech and Chong, but it it kind of reminds me of the in quotes humor in things like Cheech and Chong movies, like that thing I you know where they're knocking on the door and saying "Where's Dave?" all that sort of stuff, which I just don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I don't understand how this is supposed to be funny. That's that kind of humor, isn't it, I guess? I guess so. I don't know. Bloody stupid hippies. I mean, as I was watching, I just kept I just kept thinking, oh, my God, these fucking hippies. Just doing my <laughs> absolutely doing my head in. And, I mean, the main reason why I, I uh, wanted to do this movie was because, uh, you know, we we're, we're all, we're all know each other partly through Adam Carolla. And he has talked about this movie being a ridiculous concept. You know, the idea of a white guy, you know, posing as a Native American. And... I think the reason why he has such disdain for this movie is pretty obvious. It's just full of hippies. And his, yeah, his, his mother full was of a his hippie. mom. Right, his mother yeah. was a crazy hippie. But also his sister went to a hippie school, which was almost certainly going to be something like the Freedom School, where, you know, people just make stuff up as they go along. There's no, you know, proper, you know, curriculum and, and lesson structure, I guess. But I'm kind of on board. I'm not necessarily on board with everything yeah. Adam Carolla says, but, I, you know, I cover, these hippies are doing my head in. <laughs> Because yeah. my mother was also a bit of a hippie as well, and it kind of is, you know, I kind of identify with that. You know, everybody is a hippie in this movie, except for, I think, you know, Tom Laughlin, his character doesn't seem like that much of a hippie. He's just trying to protect the protect the hippies. Right. That's why, that's why he's the most believable character in this one. He mentions that he's trying to, to be more nonviolent and to, and to be able to do that, but he just can't. Just can't stand by. He just has to whoop people on the right side of their face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, a lot of the hippie stuff is clearly B-roll. Um, and I, I don't know why, because the movie is already well over, what is it like? Oh, it's 114 per minutes. So it's not, it's not like he needed to pad out an extra 20 minutes of those school scenes where everyone's improperly mic'd. Um, and also some of the school scenes at the beginning of the movie, you can clearly tell no one else from the movie is in it. So he clearly just took a, took a camera down there and filmed for a while. Yeah. They, they shot it in two parts. And, um, what was interesting, I mean, you noticed some, some continuity issues, but what you probably didn't notice is, you know, that scene where, uh, Laughlin is fighting all those guys in like the the kind of the grassy area in like the town square. You remember that bit? Or yeah, Village the, Square. It's the big martial arts scene. It's the fight scene. Yeah. The fight scene. Um, that was actually shot in two parts. One was shot in Arizona, and one was shot in New Mexico. But I I don't think you'll realize that half of that scene was shot in one state, and half was shot in a different state in a totally different location. But you just don't notice because you don't you're not looking at the background. Did did one state have better strawberry jam preserves they could use for the <laughs> That they use for the blood, for the blood coming out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah we looked like red paint, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. It was no, they, it was the fakest looking blood I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. No, that that was pretty much that was kind of the 
the norm for like late 60s early 70s in terms of like low budget movies that, that's what it looked like they're just bright red it's quite difficult to do because when you when you see that blood on um on the um uh, on the set or on location it looks totally different to when you see it printed so it is quite difficult to do i think nowadays what they do is they use much darker blood yeah that well nowadays they normally use blood that looks like blood right um, but even so. that I, I think even that today people sometimes that gets uh done incorrectly because what happens with blood is if you cut yourself or you get or you get cut or whatever and the blood come the blood comes out of the cut that's immediately very 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 bright red but as soon mm -hmm. as it congeals or dries then it becomes very dark red and i think sometimes people you know the the makeup eyes don't 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 allow for that the fact that it's going to change color um you know oh yeah yeah they 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 sweeten it up a little bit for the film just like um you know whenever whenever you're watching a movie with bullets you'll see them flash and spark against things which mm -hmm. i do not believe happens in real life so you know, this is one of those just depressing nihilistic <laughs> films where nothing like the there's no real climactic ending kind of there's there's a standoff for 10 minutes and then he surrenders himself um, before that you get a little bit of a fight scene um, It just, you know, throughout there's it starts off like the first within the first five minutes we have the girl who's pregnant. Who got balled by so many guys? She doesn't know the father. <laughs> who, and it's also just casually. Oh, I don't look well because I got hepatitis and an abscess tooth. Like this is <laughs> this well, is all all within the, the first late sixties. Yeah. That's like the first like, the opening first minute, first couple of minutes, isn't it? With her dad, because her dad looks like he's straight out of Giant from nineteen fifty six with that uh, slick back hair, the ginger guy. Oh my god! Yeah, that it, it's right off the bat. It's just a it's just a dour movie, and and then from there, during the course of the movie, she miscarries her her new like Indian friend who was kind of nice to her. He gets killed by the the guys. Um, there's two rape scenes as we've discussed. Um, Billy Jack kind of gets revenge by shooting that guy, but. <laughs> It's clear apparently there's the next movie is a three hour trial movie about Billy Jack. Yeah, mm -hmm. which, apparently that's that's even more bonkers than this one. Uh, yeah, I have, so, I have the the next two lined up to watch next. Oh my god! You know, speaking of that, the her miscarriage, she just miscarried because she got punched in the face, right? <laughs> mm. Uh, no, no, she miscarried because she got thrown off the horse. Oh yeah. In, in in very subtle filmmaking as as she was getting thrown off the horse um it was also during one of the rape scenes with his girlfriend. It was it was the actual rape scene that she got thrown off the horse and miscarried, I believe. You, so. you mean they're cross-cutting between the two? Yes, it was very subtle. But no, outside of the movie being completely and horribly depressing <laughs> and just <laughs> <laughs> and just me meandering for about two hours, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. I didn't find it depressing. Maybe I wasn't, wasn't really following the plot that closely. I mean, certainly that opening bit where she declares that he, she has hepatitis and a bad yeah, where she and, got balled by every every man in town and ingrown toenails and like you know <laughs> whatever. I was like, oh Jesus Christ, this is the opening scene. Fucking hell. And then you thought, well, actually, the first thing you find out is that horses are being... Well, no, the first thing you see is some horses falling <laughs> down, down a cliff. 
Then you find out the ones that survive get ground up into horse into uh, dog food. Jesus Christ! I mean that that was kind of um, I wouldn't say disturbing, but that was kind of slightly distressing where the horse fell down the uh, cliff. And apparently mm-hmm. Warner Brothers tried to pull the movie because they saw the uh, the the uh, the dailies and they weren't too keen on that that shot. But that all they were doing they were just shooting a roundup. They just spent three days shooting around uh, cowboys rounding up horses. That's all they were doing. They wouldn't stage any of those shots. So, mm-hmm. in fact, those opening scenes are pretty, opening shots are pretty good actually. Um, and they had some decent um, uh, um, people working on the movie. They had the DP worked on the DP was the same DP that did Patton, um, and they they had some decent um, production values in the movie. I don't think they just mm-hmm. I think they just didn't pay anybody anything um, when they were making it. That was the problem, and they had to shut down because they ran out of money. Yeah. Oh, this was um to to bring up on the, on this podcast yet again, Mystery Science Theater. What this film really reminded me of was this film called um, Side Hackers, which maybe uh, brisket, maybe you've seen that. Um, maybe which yeah. which is just it was one of the first movies they ever did, and it was it was another one of these nihilistic movies where at the end of the movie is everyone dies, all the all the hippies are put out of commission. For no real good reason, um, and I—I I don't know. That's—I kind of felt the same thing about Billy Jack, where, you know, by the end of the movie, like, you know, even the hot girl is taking shots at the police, and, you know, everyone's dying. I—I I thought that was quite an exciting scene when the hot girl was uh, shooting at the cops. Like, wow, look at her. Um, of course, you got to realize that you know all these nineteen-year-old hippies. All these hot nineteen-year-old hippies are now in their sixties. Yeah, that's fine. Mommy, <laughs> they're all kind of Grammys now. They're all Grammy, Grammy, and grandpas. When uh, the uh, the son, the son of the big baddie, um, got or he was statutory raping that thirteen-year-old girl, mm-hmm. which they showed her fully nude, by the way. Yeah, but she um, obviously wasn't thirteen. Obviously, tapes. yeah. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, obviously. Obviously, but when uh, Billy Jack came in, did did he ac- did he actually shoot Billy Jack? Is that what I saw? He got shot in the chest. He did, and uh, I listened to the uh, commentary, and there's actually two commentaries on the Blu-ray, and uh, what the first one is just um, Tom Laughlin and Dolores, and apparently it's rubbish, and the second one is Tom Laughlin and Dolores and his son, their son, and their son was 13 when they made the movie, but he he was. He played um, parts in the movie. So you know the part where um, um, Billy Jack rides off on a motorcycle? Remember that part? Yes. Um, I thought, oh, you can ride a motorcycle. No, no, that was to- that was Tom Laughlin's 13-year-old son. Um, so all the parts where he's riding motorbikes, that's his, that's his son. He was 13. Um, but anyway, he's, his son was involved with the restoration and they did the commentary and they said that um, for some reason, I don't know why, Laughlin did not want to react to being shot. And he had like a spirit, a Native American spiritual advisor there on the set. And the Native American spiritual advisor said to him, this is because you are a ghost spirit or something and ghost spirits don't get affected by bullets. And Laughlin was going, that's a load of rubbish. And then went, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So he didn't react <laughs> because he didn't really get shot because he's a ghost spirit. That was his explanation. I thought, I thought it was it was badass. That's like some Steven Seagal stuff that just ignores bullets. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Pain don't hurt. Pain, Pain don't hurt. And speaking of that scene is when he uh, starts fighting the guy and he gives him a solid Capkido karate chop right to his neck. That was awesome. Crushed his, crushed his larynx. 
And he just, his son just killed over. His tongue flopped out, <laughs> and then he fell backwards on the bed. It was kind of cartoony, wasn't it? It was like, uh, does this actor think he's in a cartoon? He's like Wiley Coyote in Roadrunner. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought that that karate chop was the most awesome part of the movie, except for. I mean that's tied tied for first along with the uh the scene where they're he's out there kicking all their asses on the on the uh, lawn. With that's his, a decent scene, actually. The, yeah, yeah. Whooping, whooping on his right side of his face with his foot. One of the reasons why it's, why it is a decent scene is because Laughlin wasn't doing those uh, karate kicks. He couldn't do them that, that well. So the guy who taught him uh, karate did all did a lot of the uh, doubling for him. And you can see that if you look closely, yeah. you can see there's a big yeah. I read that. Guy I read that, and I watched it back, and you can definitely tell it's that's a short little Asian guy doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't notice it in the first watch, but the second time when I was doing, you know, watching it with the commentary, it's like, oh yeah, clearly that's not him. Um, and talking about the commentary, um, all the way through it, basically, Laughlin is saying, "Well, this this person had never acted before," and I'm thinking, shh. Shocking! They all look like horrible actors. <laughs> <laughs> They're all fucking disastrous. Oh my god! Actually, there were a couple of decent actors, like the um, uh, the guy who played the father of the bad guy was actually the uh, he was a, like the vice president of the State Screen Actors Guild, so he was right, yeah, and and also the the first couple of actors you see as well, the um, gingerhead guy and the uh, the sheriff guy. They're all they're all decent actors, but. Uh, yeah, all the, all those like you're saying, teams, all those um, freedom school uh, kids are fucking disaster. And they, I mean, yeah. a lot of the people you see as sort of background in those in those scenes are from a real kind of hippie school. So, um, I have a sample of the horrible acting of the freedom school. Mm. This whole idea of doing your thing in the mess hall came from a visit somebody made to a Benedictine monastery. And anybody <laughs> who wants to read or sing or just do anything at all just gets up and does it. Well, it's either horrible acting or a t- entirely accurate. He's he, she's playing, um, you know, Matthew McConaughey thirty years before he pulled it off. <laughs> man, you, gonna, you got any weed, man? The big thing that got me is when that girl who was dressed in red started singing. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" I got a clip of that as well. I beg your pardon. Two of them. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is horribly uncomfortable. Oh, dearie me. I could not believe what I was watching. And uh, so it turns out that um, that's, it, that's yeah. their, one of their daughters. Their daughter. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and she... They uh, they had to kind of rush that the shooting of that scene, and she wasn't allowed to tune her guitar. So her guitar was out of tune. So she blames being singing off key for her guitar being out of tune. And Tom Laughlin is is tone deaf, so he didn't know. And he just went, "Yeah, fine, that's that. Well, that'll do." And uh, moved on. Uh, I don't know what how much of that is true, but it was pretty <laughs> fucking horrendous. And then they have her singing again later on in the movie as well. Yeah. I'm like, oh my uh-huh. god, this is horrendous. Um, I think one of her songs is about her, her dead brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the one that went to Vietnam, that one. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about right. Tom Laughlin and his Native American roots, I have. he told us the secret to his powers. Mm-hmm. You never told me what's in that thing. 
It's my medicine bag. Got some owl's feathers, sacred corn, snake teeth. What's it for? Contains my power. Without it, I'd be outside of the flow of life's forces. See, that's all you need. Some some corn and some feathers and some uh, some owl teeth or whatever. Whatever's in there. So, on the subject of his of his uh, accoutrements and his props, you know, there's a stupid hat. I mean, your your um your your Todd art for this week's episode is, I think, one of the best you've ever done, Todd. That is fucking fantastic. <laughs> it really captures the the straightness of that brim, doesn't it? Oh, it's a perfect hat. <laughs> it looks it is, absolutely it fucking ridiculous. So, the story behind that hat <laughs> is one of his daughters bought that hat uh, from Woolworths uh, for Halloween. And she just wanted the biggest, most ridiculous hat to put hide, hide all her hair in because during Halloween, people were throwing nair at people in the street. You know, nair, the hair remover? Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yeah, who and wears so, short shorts? So, um, so uh, yeah, that's where that came from. And he went, oh, I love that. And uh, and, and used it ever since. That, which is kind of <laughs> that hat is mint. Like, he's supposed to be a Native American guru, mm. but no Native American person wears a hat like that. And it has those bead that it does have a uh, bead thing on it, which is yeah. cool. It gives a little style. You know what that hat reminded me of is mm-hmm. Steege may be familiar. You might be familiar, Neil, but um, in Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat <laughs> 2, they introduced a character named Kung Lao. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he wore a hat that, just like that with a solid, solid brim. And he threw his hat around and chopped people's heads off. Well, Torito seems to be very familiar with Mortal Kombat. So yeah. I, don't what, I don't know what you're teaching that kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay a little bit of trivia here before we get into the business side you remember the guy you remember there's a couple of scenes or there's at least one scene in a barber shop and uh they used a, the real barber shop guy was the guy actually cutting the hair and this is something i don't think anybody would have noticed during the f- first viewing uh but uh in the commentary laughlin pointed out that he's got like a nervous tick and his nervous tick manifests itself by him sticking his tongue out so it's like, like like a snake. His tongue sort, of, but his tongue sort of extends fully out. Like you can't really describe, uh, you know, audibly. But his tongue sticks out every couple of seconds. Boink. And he said that um, in the back room of the barber shop, uh, that guy had a huge pile of books on cunnilingus. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> as they were Jesus shooting the movie, Christ. every time his tongue went out, <laughs> he they were all cracking up. They couldn't keep a straight face when they were shooting it. Shooting that scene. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> but he's this old guy. He looks about sort of 60 and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. The numbers I found for this was that um, it only had a budget of about $800,000, which is mm-hmm. for, for that time is not nothing. It's, yeah. a, it's a pretty decent budget. But it made $40 million across two releases in mm-hmm. 1971 and 1973. Yeah. Um, I think in the first year, um, I think in the first year it made $32 million, which is a mm-hmm. huge amount for that time. But um, there was a big battle over the rights. And um, basically, I think it was Warner that originally released it. And um, Laughlin was not happy with Warner because um, they didn't promote it. And uh, he he basically fought them in court um, to re- to get back the rights in order to, to redistribute it. And he won. And what he did was, as you mentioned, Steve, he, he get, had it re-released. But he re-released it several times. And the total gross... 
from all those releases. So, I mean, okay, let me go through the highest grossing, grossing films released in 1971. And this doesn't mean that they all the revenue came in 1971, as we discussed. This is the total revenue kind of when they were released theatrically. So, you know, say, for example, a movie was released in December 71, and it would include the 72 um, the returns as well. Anyway, so I'll give you an abbreviated uh, top 10. I won't cover all of them, but Clockwork Orange was number nine. And this is, I think, US gross. twenty. It's about 26 million. Uh, Last Picture Show, 29 million. Dirty Harry, 35 million. Diamonds Are Forever, 43 million. Uh, French Connection, 51 million is a number three. Number two, Fiddler on the Roof, $75 million. Number one, Billy Jack with $98 million in 1971. Well, actually, 1971 to 1974. Uh, So going back to that Dirty Harry number, 35 million. So I think in the first couple of, um, releases they doubled the Dirty Harry numbers um, and I actually couldn't believe those numbers I thought they must have been adjusted numbers like so they were you know uh, adjusted gross in terms of what they would be today that's unadjusted gross which is ridiculous so what I did was I went and looked at the Dirty Harry adjusted gross well the Dirty Harry adjusted gross numbers are available so adjusted gross for Dirty Harry is $178 million which means the adjusted gross for Billy Jack was $483 million in today's money. Uh, which sa- again sounds bonkers and unbelievable, but, but they did sell 50 million tickets. So if you think of that in today's money, what's a, what's a cinema ticket? Eight, nine dollars, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely crazy. Um, and moving on, I don't know if you looked into the trial of Billy Jack, uh, Steve. Um, I just looked up that it, existed and apparently it's a three-hour movie so i (laughs) i had no interest in looking that one up well the interesting thing about the trial of billy jack is that um laughlin kind of got control no no no, it's very interesting i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to sort of uh explain it and not go too long-winded because it's quite a long story but i'll try and abbreviate it so so the interesting thing about the trial of billy jack is that um tom laughlin managed to um gain control of distribution and advertising um i don't know whether he he ever got through got put through um a a studio system um but what he did was he he did national tv advertising for the film and that had never been done before you would see local advertising and um you'd also never see at that time there was never a a, what's called a wide release so wide releases i think over a thousand theaters on day one Mm-hmm. What you would normally see in that at that time was a, a gradual rollout. So you might see a screening for the critics. Obviously, that's normal. Then you would see um, uh, see openings in like New York and LA and Chicago and these other big cities in order to sort of gauge the demand. And what he did was, no, screw that. We'll just open wide from day one in over a thousand theaters. Um, and that resulted in. Uh, that movie, which is the trial of Billy Jack, being the highest-grossing independent movie of all time, um, so it's crazy. So he actually, what he did was he kind of created the modern blockbuster um, because this was this, people people talk about movies like Star Wars and Jaws. I think Jaws was seventy about seventy nineteen seventy three being the first blockbusters, but no, this was the first. This was the invention of modern movie marketing, where you know nowadays not only do movies open on the same day. Uh, nationally in the US, but they open, they open in, in, in other charities as well. So you might see the whole of Europe and 
the US and maybe Japan and China opening on the same day. So they kind of invented that whole concept. It was very interesting. And he kind of didn't, at the end of the day, he kind of didn't really profit from it, I think because he was trying to fight with everybody in the business. Um, so it's kind of a sad story. His, his ending was kind of sad. He died about a year ago and, um, they, you know, they didn't, they weren't exactly living in the lap of luxury when he died. So it's kind of sad, really. Well, he wasn't living or playing by the man's rules, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, well, you that's exactly right. All, yeah. all he needed was a horse in, in his hat. <laughs> that's all he needed. Yeah, well, it's true. He was kind of living that like that kind of he he wasn't kind of uh, movie bullshit. It wasn't like what you imagine yeah. uh, Chuck Norris and Steven Seagal to be. He believed in all that stuff. All I was thinking watching this one is, I think we're quite overdue for a Billy Jack reboot. He could he could have banked a few bucks on that one. Uh, well, not with the not with the dead guy. No, I I what? thought it was what called Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's got a little bit of a. He's got a little bit of Paul Hogan to him. Mm. Trying to understand the white man ways. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any more notes from anybody on uh, Billy Jack? Don't don't watch it. <laughs> I, I I have a different. I'm opinion. glad I, I think, watched it. I think you no, should watch it. Watch it yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's just definitely. one of those it's one of those bonkers movies to check off a list. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I I I'm I'm glad I watched it. I wanted to see it for a long time and. Uh, not nearly as bad as I thought it would be, and quite entertaining in places. Obviously, the yeah, the, the there are parts that are fucking unwatchable, but that's okay. That's part part <laughs> and parcel, I think. I I have seen the the Born Losers, and I'll say, do not watch that one. Watch Billy Jack. <laughs> well, do let us know. Like I said, do let us know uh, about the trial of sure. Billy Jack and whether that's yep. worth a whether that's worth a look. Oh, okay. A couple more things. Um, so this movie and i think also born losers which you'll be more familiar with tb um were very much counterculture movies which were kind of big at that time um uh like i remember i was taught at school that like 1968 was the era of um the student uprisings uh around the world and a lot of that was sort of protesting again against things like vietnam but also uh sort of general you know um general unrest uh, this movie was made in 1969, around that time. And some of the things that they did in the movie were actually quite shocking. Like, they were shocking at the time. Like, even the, the statement, this committee sucks, was pretty shocking. And they weren't sure whether they was going to make, make it into the movie. Because basically, that was um, mocking authority. Um, that was that was an improvised line, the, 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 the little girl in it, who said that. She just made it up on the spot. Um and even even concepts concepts like uh, denigrating Nixon was a was a, a major problem with the studio because Nixon had just been elected in a in a landslide victory, so you know Nixon in the in the you know in the rearview mirror the whole idea of making fun of Nixon, what the hell? But at that time that was kind of a no no. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that about the the sitting president. You wouldn't do that. Um, and in fact, one of the studio heads, I think for Warner, was a big Nixon fundraiser. And he was not happy with the movie and um, he wanted it cut. And so one, I think it was either the audio or the the reels of the movie, one or one or the other, the studio head went, ran off with one part of the movie, the audio, so let's say, and Tom Laughlin ran with the other part of the movie, which was the, which was the, the film reels. And, and there was kind of a Mexican standoff and neither of them would give way because... The studio head wanted to cut, and and Laughlin didn't want it cut, and eventually Laughlin got his way. But obviously, then did, his his relationship with the studio deteriorated. 
Um, but yeah, there was it was it was like um, that was an era when counterculture movies. Were, this is why it was such a big success. We were talking about the box office numbers. Nobody had ever seen a movie like this before, uh, where basically you know we talk we laugh about the man in 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 inverted commas and in capital letters the man, but the man kind of did rule things, and this wasn't a joke. You know, the the Native Americans were being uh, persecuted, and that line about Hey, it's an Indian that shot that shoots shoots back. They didn't shoot back at that back then. They would get shot, and you know, they would get persecuted. And no one would do anything about it. And this was kind of a um, very much sort of a a rallying point for uh, for the, the kids, and also it introduced a few things that were kind of capturing the zeitgeist, like things like martial arts and karate and stuff. And that was kind of um, like, for example, Elvis went to see this movie ten times. He was a big fan of Billy Jack. He loved it. So that's all we have for Billy Jack. And now it's time for movies we've seen recently. Uh, TB, have you seen any movies recently? I've seen one movie. And is it, it is a motorcycling movie? Excluding that one. That one was researched oh. for this movie. But I saw one movie. <laughs> and Steege might be familiar with it. It's called Starship Troopers 2, Hero of the Federation. <laughs> yes, I also watched this movie. Oh, you too. Getting together and... Watching movies together like a couple of gay boys. Oh, well, we did not suck each other's cock while we watched it. <laughs> did you, did you do we that did for Starship Troopers 3? We, <laughs> just, we just held hands. Well, that's why that's why Todd didn't see number three, and I did. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's, have, let's have Todd talk about two, and then you can talk about two. How's that, how's that Steve? Sounds good. All right. Um, it's, it's what you would expect. Um, it's not as, definitely not as good as the, as the first one. And history has shown that direct-to-video sequels to major blockbusters are, are usually not as good. Um, but I thought that is, it was okay. It was entertaining. It was definitely entertaining. Had some good action. Uh, the practical effects were, were as awesome as the first. The same guy, the same uh, effects supervisor is the director of the second one and also directed the practical effects. So that's where it really shines. Everything else from the acting and the story is just bonkers. That was but, uh, so. Phil, Tipp- Phil Tippett, wasn't it? It was somebody who was talking Tipp- about. Yep, uh, it is Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett said he had made no money to make it or something. Right. Uh, pretty much. The, the budget for the, for the first one, as we discussed, was about $100 million. Mm-hmm. The budget for the second one was $7 million. It's It's good considering how much less they had to work with. Um, but it really shows up in the acting. The acting is all, it's all horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, clearly that they, they probably reused a lot of the stuff from the first movie. I'm guessing that they, you yeah, know, may probably have already, all of the uniforms were used. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure they had the models for however they do the, the bugs. Like there are plenty of bugs in the, the second yeah. movie too. Um, but everything was just on kind of like a smaller scale. Like it, most of the movie takes place in a um, yeah closed bunker. A, yeah, yeah, closed base. Clearly, you know, just two or three sets. Um, what's the sort and, of premise? What's the pre- sorry? What's the premise of the movie? The bugs. Uh, well, the bugs are now evolving a little bit, and uh, this isn't really a spoiler because it happens like thirty minutes into the movie, but they can now control humans. By going into their bodies, <laughs> yeah, there's okay. basically a a mind takeover bug um, that they 
can spread to humans by at, at first you're like, oh, sexy times are going to happen here between this uh, this private Charlie Soda is her name, which is <laughs> horrible name for her character. Uh, but it's she is she is a smoke show. And you're oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah. Is there another character played by Tom Petty called Juan Hernandez? Uh, no, un- unfortunately, there's not. Now, Every, Neil, everyone is. You're being a little. You're being a little racial here because all the all Hola. the Juan Juan Hernandezes they came from Buenos Aires in the first movie. This is this movie does not contain any people from Buenos Aires. All oh, right. Does it does it have like a lot of I don't know Brazilians or something in it? They do not really get that deep with the characters on this one, um, to the point where, you know, I I can't even remember the name of the main heroine. Was that Jill Sandy? I'm looking at the IMDb. Jill right Sandy. Now and, yeah, like there, there's one who is two um, first names, kinda, isn't it? Jill, Jill Sandy. It's two first names. Yeah. Well, it's Sandy S A N D E E. That way, you can tell it's a last name. Mm. Um. But no, it's you know the the acting is just kind of bad. They they have a gruff lieutenant slash demoted lieutenant kind of guy mm-hmm. who's you know he's the Captain, heavy in this film. Captain Dex. Yeah, um, the the main the main plot element is that um the the bugs are letting them do this um like letting them survive in the space because they want them to get rescued so that they're evil. Like mind control bugs can then infiltrate the high mm-hmm. high human command. So I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was a interesting little bit of it. Spoiler alert, Neil. You don't want to be spoiled. I'm never gonna watch some TV, that's the thing. Man. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting bit how yeah, the gen the general and a couple of people were were survived the onslaught of the bugs. And I was like, How did they survive? You know, they just got overrun and then it turns out, oh, they wanna mind control the general and have him go back to the base and then, you know, do his general job as a mind controlled guy. That was a little, little interesting bit there about that. Yeah. And I, from the first movie, I'm not sure if there's anyone who's in the second one. I think, um, yeah, nobody, I think it, nobody at all. Um, they, they allude to, you know, the, the recruiting guy in the first movie who's missing like all his friggin' limbs. Yeah. Missing an arm. Yep. There's yeah. a guy at the End of Starship Troopers Two, yeah. Who kind of looks like him, um, but I'm looking it up right now. It's it's not the yeah, same guy. it's not him. Looks very so. similar, but not him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but to but to touch on Starship Troopers Three for a second, they were they were somehow able to get Casper Casper Van Diem back for that somehow. one. Somehow, you know, yep. I, I started I started three. I haven't finished yet. I'm only about thirty minutes in. Mm-hmm. Three, I would say, is actually probably a little bit better than two. Um, but they're they're both clearly behind the first one. Oh, except except for when it comes to hoot. <laughs> oh, hoots! The hoot ratio goes up in three. Um. Well, they they all have basically one scene with good hoots in them. Um. Sure. Like the first the first one has a shower scene. The third one has. It's not a shower scene. It's kind of like an examination scene um, where they're getting scanned before they go raid a planet kind of deal. Um, but the second the second one has a has a good scene with a girl's name is Kelly Carlson. Yeah. You get to she's, see a, her. she's a good looking gal. Kelly Clarkson yep. from American Idol. 
No, no, Kelly Carlson. <laughs> she is the daughter of a hairdresser mother. I don't, I, that's just on her IMDb, but she is easy on the eyes. She looks a little bit like, um, who's that blonde from My Name is Earl? Oh, Jamie yeah. something? Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Presley? Jamie Fox. Yes, Jamie Foxx. She looks like Jamie Foxx. Hot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, now they're they're both. Um, I would say two and three are just decent background movies. Like, oh, let's put something on while you do something else and watch some bugs explode. Okay, I saw just one movie this week. I saw Bad Words with uh, Jason Bateman. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's about a forty-year-old man who decides to enter a spelling bee. And it was kind of an indie indie release. Uh, was it an indie darling? An indie darling? Indie release. And um, it's, it's, uh, it stars Jason Bateman. He also directed it. It's his first time he's ever directed a movie. And it is fucking hilarious. Uh, I think it might be the funniest movie I've seen this year. Oh, really? It's absolutely fucking hilarious. And it sounds, it sounds like, oh, okay, uh, old guy enters a spelling bee hmm but it's it's the probably the dirtiest movie you'll see all year <laughs> certainly for a comedy um there's no studio that would put this out it's absolutely fucking hilarious if you like something like bad santa um it's kind of that sort of level only a bit further probably uh it's got i think it's got the funniest sex scenes i've ever seen um and steve was talking about i think maybe last week or the week before week before about David Allen Greer, when he's having sex, he does the, don't look at me, don't you look at me, that thing. <laughs> There's a scene yeah. that's almost exactly like that, which that's a bit of a spoiler, sorry, but it is fucking hilarious. I I, I was laughing the whole way, whole way through. It's so bloody funny. And uh, Bateman is pretty good at sort of um, uh, playing, it, playing it straight as well. So, you know, it's, it's very, very much like Bad Santa to the point where He's got. Uh, there's a kid in in the in the movie, and that's sort. He's sort of playing a sort of similar role to the kid who was in Bad Santa. Um, I mean, it's very very much set up like that, obviously with a different different scenario. Um, but he, I mean, Bateman is kind of like almost like the new Bill Murray, where he plays these sort of like. I mean, he's a comp- the character's a complete arsehole. I mean, he's an unbelievable arsehole. You know, in the vein of um, Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa or Bill Murray in just about everything. So. Um, yeah, absolutely fucking hilarious. Highly recommend that one. Oh. I, I, you know, I actually haven't seen many of uh, Bateman's film roles. I loved him in Arrested Development, though. Yeah. Um, which kind of, which kind of gave him this um, late career push in a way. Yeah. Now, does he have? Uh, I've only seen, I've only seen really him in Extract and a couple other movies <clears throat> but does he have michael sarah syndrome where he's now playing the same character and everything since arrested development well i is i guess he is sort of playing to type as in this but uh, no i i mean i think you could you could you could separate this from something like arrested development it's it's just very funny on its own Cool. And the kid in it is fucking hilarious as well. He's a he's a fantastic little actor, and he's playing a ten year old. He's only eight. Um, and there's some scenes with the kid that I mean, Jesus Christ, how his parents let him let him do that? I don't know. It's fucking they're fucking brilliant. I don't want to spoil it, but you should definitely see it. I will add it to McHugh. Okay, so that's all we have time for this week. Our next movie is scheduled to be the 1984 music concert documentary, Purple Rain. 
starring Prince Rogers Nelson in a purple suit on a purple motorbike. My thanks this week go to my co-host, Todd Brisket. You know what this guy reminds me of? A little monkey. Posner's little monkey. Running around trying to get all the bananas. Get your blouse and get out of here. And thank you to our guest, Stephen Greenwell. I got bawled by so many guys, I don't know whether <laughs> the father is going to be white, Indian, Mexican, or black. <laughs> From the minute this podcast started until this moment, and every second in between, this show has been one big shipwreck. I just can't take it anymore. Also, the man is about to shut us down, man. Just what is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Well, wait, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. Ah, I just have an itch in my left ball. Did I shave my balls for this? <laughs>